0: And the rest of you can turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter five. We're back in the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew five verses 13 to 16. Let me start again by rereading through this passage. Matthew 5:13 to 16. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. I was watching a, an ocean docu, documentary and uh, there was a scene with this school of fish. Massive school of fish, probably thousands of them. Silver, shining with the reflection of the sun. And they were all swimming in the same direction, together in unison, making these beautiful patterns. And then all of a sudden, there was this little shiny dot swimming against the current in the opposite direction of the school of fish. And the camera zooms in, and sure enough, there's this little fish that's swimming against the whole pack in the opposite direction, such a strange thing. And then, to my surprise, another fish turned around and started following the rogue fish swimming in the opposite direction. And then another fish, three fish swimming now in the opposite direction. And the camera starts to slowly move out. And you notice then four fish, five fish, six fish. Finally, a group of fish turn around and swim in the opposite direction of the school. It's amazing, this natural phenomenon. One fish influencing the pack and turning some other fish around to swim against the current. This is a good illustration of the Christian life. Christian, you swim against the current of this world. You're going in the opposite direction. And that should be noticeable That should be apparent. You should stand out because it is in stark contrast to the desires, influences, and attitudes of the world around you. Your life is different. You stand out. And it is important for us to remember that the characteristics of our life, in other words, the Beatitudes that we just went through, the life and message that we have, is the influence that turns others around with us. Your life and your message, marked by the attitudes of the kingdom citizen given to us in verses 3 to 12, will not only contrast the world, but it will be those things that actually influence the world to glorify God. And those, those things that God uses, the king uses to win more followers to himself. This is the reality Jesus describes in Matthew 5, verses 13 to 16. Jesus gives us a lesson on flavor and exposure. A lesson on flavor and exposure. How many of us love flavor? Love flavor. Put some more, more salt on that food. Salt it up. I want to taste flavor. Flavor is important. Flavor sets a good dish apart from a bad dish. And salt, of course, adds flavor. If the dish lacks sodium chloride, it is probably bland and flavorless, right? Now, those of you with interests in photography know that exposure is important. Exposure, the amount of light that hits your camera lens, will determine the clarity of your image. If you're looking for the silhouette effect, maybe just a a dark figure, then you want low exposure. But if you want to see clearly the object of your photograph, then you need enough light. You need exposure. In this passage, Jesus uses these two metaphors, salt and light, to describe you. You are the salt. You are the light, Christian. And just as salt sets a flavorful dish apart from a bland dish, and just as light exposes certain objects out of the darkness, your life must stand out in stark contrast to the world in order to influence people for the glory of God. That's what Jesus is saying in verses 13 to 16. So let's look at these two metaphors and note these two points. Point number one. Stay salty. Stay salty. Now, Jesus is not talking about frequent salt baths or beach trips or that you would have a perpetually grumpy attitude, right? Which is the modern vernacular for salty. He's talking about this. Maintain your kingdom flavor. Maintain your kingdom flavor. Look at verse 13, the first sentence there. You are the salt of the earth. This is who you are. If you're a kingdom citizen, this is a part of your nature. This is your essence. You're the salt. Now what, is, what does that mean? What is this flavor that Jesus is talking about? Now we remember this section comes right after the Beatitudes. This is one sermon Jesus preaches and each section flows really smoothly into the next. So Jesus just marked the kingdom citizen by eight characteristics. You remember them? Poor in spirit, those who mourn, the meek, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, the merciful, the pure in heart, the peacemakers, those who are persecuted. Eight characteristics that should mark your life. And this is how you, Christian, maintain your kingdom flavor. This is how you stay salty. You remain humble. You remain mourning over sin. You remain meek. You remain hungry. You remain merciful. You remain pure. You remain peacemaking. You remain persecuted for the sake of Jesus Christ. This is the Christian's flavor. This is what makes us stand out. These are essential characteristics. This is what it looks like for a Christian to swim against the current in the opposite direction. Stay salty, pursue and maintain these attributes, these attitudes. Look at this next phrase. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? You can't salt salt. Salt is salt, right? It's a very stable compound. Sodium chloride, so salt in its natural and purest form cannot lose flavor. So, what's Jesus talking about here? What is this salt that loses flavor? Well, the salt of the New Testament was not the kind that you might find out of sprouts. The salt in the New Testament was often um, often uh, contained a variety of chemical impurities. And this sometimes resulted in a blander, granular substance, which could go bad and lose flavor and not be effective. What was salt used for? Not only to flavor food, but to preserve food, right? Salt is a preservative. But bad salt is useless, which Jesus goes on to say. But the salt goes bad ultimately because added elements change the essence of the substance. In other words, Jesus Christ The father of chemistry, the creator and sustainer of all things, says this. If salt has lost its flavor, it is a corrupted substance. It's no longer salt. It's more like sand. It's sand. Think about the implications of this metaphor. Consider everything Jesus just said. The kingdom citizen, the Christian, is marked by these attributes. They are humble, they're sober, they're meek, they're righteousness craving, they're merciful, they're pure in heart, they're peacemaking, they're persecuted for the sake of righteousness in the name of Jesus Christ. If these are not manifest in your life, you're not tasteful like salt. You're bland as sand. And if that is the case, look at, This next sentence, it is, you are no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. This is a stern warning. A stern warning. You will know my disciples by their kingdom flavor. These beatitudes stand out in stark contrast to those of this world. But if you diminish these qualities in your life, if you devalue them, if you suppress them by adding worldly impurities, well, then you've lost your flavor and you don't get it back. You reveal yourself to be sand, not salt. You are the sand. Worthless. Thrown out. Trampled under people's feet. Beware of so-called salt that has no kingdom flavor. Beware of worldly additives that so easily creep into your life and influence you not for the kingdom of God, but towards the kingdom of this world. Compromise is one of the quickest ways to lose flavor. Compromise, personally and corporately. Churches and ministries will always be tempted to compromise biblical convictions to influence culture by worldly means. Churches around do this all the time. Let's cut sin out of the message. We don't need to talk about sin. They don't need to know about being poor in spirit or mourning over sin because that's a harsh message. Let's take a softer approach. They say, let's be content. With following just external rules because it's easier to follow rules than to address the issues in our hearts. So we do all the right things the right way. We, you know, sing the right songs. We do all the legalistic, rule-keeping things, but without addressing our hearts because it's easier. That's what they're saying. And they don't want to even bring up persecution. That comes, the eighth beatitude, the often forgotten beatitude. One of the things that should mark your life, let's not talk about it. Let's lose the salt, is what they're saying. And taste more like the sand. Well, if you do that, Jesus says the result is a sandy church. Not a salty one. Not one that influences the world, but one that is influenced by the world. And then you personally, Christian, not just those weak churches out there, but you personally, Christian, are tempted to compromise every day for these worldly additives in your life. For a more comfortable, for a more pleasure-filled life on earth. Maybe you hunger and thirst for money. You hunger and thirst for prizes and possessions of the earth. Maybe you hunger and thirst for an earthly relationship. Worldly influences seep in and your cravings go from righteousness to unrighteousness. The result is a sandy life. Beware of that. Do not compromise. Do not be like Demas. You remember Demas? Paul talked about Demas in his last letter to Timothy. He said, Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me. Oh, that's a scary statement. For the love of this present world, he deserted me. Paul, and not only deserted Paul, but deserted the Christ that Paul followed. Beware of that. The passage warns us that once you go sandy, you don't go back. You can't salt sand to change its substance. It's still sand. If you win them with sand, they stay sandy. But on the contrary, if you stay salty, my friends, you win them with and to his flavor. His flavor, not with into the world's flavor. Does that make sense? If you want to influence others to the glory of God, stick with the Beatitudes. Start with these attitudes, these characteristics that Jesus Christ the King has given us that should be markers of our life. My life and yours. Stay salty, no additives. Point number two, shine brightly. Shine brightly. Here's the second metaphor. You are the light of the world. Remember, this is who you are. This is who you are. You are the salt, you are the light. If you're truly His kingdom citizen... If you're a Christian, a disciple of Jesus Christ, you are the salt. You are the light. This is who you are. So your job is really just to expose it, to show it, to shine brightly, to shine brightly. Salt is for flavor and preservation. Light is for exposure and illumination. Christians have, get this, the king's flavor, and they expose the king's light. This is who we are. Jesus said in John 8, 12, do you remember this? Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Jesus is the light. Those who follow him have that same light. And what is the king's light? What is Jesus' light? It is this, the truth of salvation. It's the gospel. It's the gospel. Jesus said in John 12, 46, "...I have come into the world as light, so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness." See, the world is shrouded in the darkness of sin. We were all once living like blind men and women, walking around lost, confused, unable to see. But Jesus is the light. And if He has saved you, if that light has shone in your life, you've been illuminated to it, you've been exposed to the truth, you believe in Him, and as you follow Him, you shine that light as well. You radiate His light. He's the light that leads the sinner to heaven. He's the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through Him, John 14.6. So again, if you believe in Him, you have His light. And if you have His light, you don't hide it. You expose it. You shine brightly. That's what Jesus' concern is with these illustrations. Look back down to verse 14. You're the light of the world... A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. Two illustrations of exposure. Of light that is seen, not hidden. The city on a hill, the lamp on a stand. A city on a hill, especially in ancient times without the light pollution that we have today, was seen from miles and miles and miles away. Dozens of miles. A city set on a hill. Of course, if the city was set into the valley, hidden by the hills and the mountains surrounding it, it was less likely to be seen. Makes sense, doesn't it? But the city on a hill was seen from miles away. Potentially, this illustration that Jesus is using, he could be talking about Jerusalem. Jerusalem, those Jews who are familiar with it, those Jews in the region of Galilee who would often make that trip to Jerusalem for religious activities, they would see from afar if they were traveling at night, Jerusalem set up on the hill, a city that is lighted, seen from miles and miles away. Maybe that's what they're picturing as they're thinking about this illustration. A city set on a hill. And then you have the second illustration of exposure the lamp on a stand, not hidden under a basket. The lamp on a stand, not hidden under a basket. A lamp on a stand, if placed in the center and high above, it illuminates the whole house. It's helpful to those inside. It it shows you where you can walk, where objects are that you might trip over. It exposes maybe the the nasty things that lurk and hide in the dark places that you may not see without light. That's what it does. You understand this illustration. A lamp under a basket is useless. It's not helpful. Who walks into a dark room and then says, "Oh, it's so dark in here, I can't see anything. You know what? I'm going to light a candle and put it in the closet and then shut the door. That'll help. No, of course not. Of course not. The purpose of light is to expose, to guide, and to illuminate the darkness. The point of these illustrations is that light is to be exposed, not hidden. And then Jesus turns the metaphor and he points back at you. Look at his statement in verse 16. In the same way, let your light shine before others. Do you see that? Your light shine before others. You are to be the city on a hill, not hidden in the valley. You are to be the light on the stand, not the one in the closet or hidden under a basket. Shine brightly. Expose the light that is in you. You're to walk around like a light bulb. Seen, exposed to everyone that you interact with. The Christian life is not to be discreet. We are not a secret society that hides away from the world. We're not spies for the king, blending in with our surroundings. We're lights and we shine brightly. Are you tempted to hide? I'm going to be honest, I am. Why are we tempted to hide? Why are we tempted to hide our light? Well, because it's comfortable, isn't it? We avoid conflict, we avoid an awkward conversation, an uncomfortable moment. Maybe you're concerned that, man, if I shine the light of Jesus, I might get what the kingdom citizen has promised in verses 10 to 12. I might be persecuted. Isn't that crazy? We hide our light to avoid a beatitude. Something that ought to describe the kingdom citizen. The very reason why some Christians hide it. That should not be so. And again, if I'm being honest here, I know that sometimes I hide it. The fear of man in our lives is the biggest basket. It's the biggest basket that we cover our lights with. It's a fear of man. A fear of others. A fear of what people will think of me. A fear of how that coworker will perceive me. A fear of losing that family member who's so adamant about their contrary religion. Fearing men is the biggest basket in our lives. And Jesus is telling you today, throw that basket away. Get that out of your life. Any fear, any basket that causes you to hide your light, throw that away and expose it. Shine brightly for Jesus Christ. And why do we do so? Why should I be motivated to expose the light, to risk being persecuted for the sake of Of Jesus for the sake of righteousness as it describes in 10 to 12. That sounds uncomfortable. That sounds potentially painful. That sounds like it'll cost me something. Why would I do such a thing? Jesus gives you positive motivation in Matthew 5 at the end of verse 16. Look at the text. Let your light shine before others. Why? So that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who's in heaven. Here is the end of all things. The purpose of the Christian life. The why, or sorry, the answer to the why question in every scenario. It's this, the glory of God. The glory of God. So that God would be glorified. Not so that I can be preserved. No, not so that I can be comfortable. But so that God may be glorified. Shine your light so that it might point to Him, and give glory to God. A life that is marked by humility, by sobriety, by meekness, by righteousness craving, by mercy, by purity, by peacemaking and persecution for Jesus is an incredible witness. I'm sure that as you practice these things in your workplaces, as you practice these things at your family gatherings, you stand out amidst them. Do do you not? These kind of characteristics stand out in the secular workforce. This is different. This is different than the way of this world, which is righteousness suppressing, which is filled with pride, filled with celebration over shallow matters, filled with success first, filled with get yours, you deserve it. Not the kind of attitudes that Jesus describes. Of course you're going to stand out. Of course you're going to be salty. You're going to have some flavor to you. you going to have some spice. But you're also going to be like a shining lamp, like a candle lit in the midst of pitch black. You will shine brightly. You'll stand out like the jewel, the diamond that's set upon the black velvet. It stands out. And this is for the glory of God. Once you turn your Bibles to Ephesians 5, verses 8 and 9, it's a good cross reference to this passage. Ephesians 5, 8 and 9. We covered this text a couple months back when we were moving through the book of Ephesians. Remember Matthew 5.16, have that echo in your mind, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Now 5.8. For at one time you were darkness. You were there blind, walking in darkness, unable to see the light. But look, but now, but now, strong contrast, you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of light, the rays that beam off of you, is found in all that is good and right and true. Turn in your Bibles now to Philippians 2, verses 14 and 15. Just maybe a couple pages to the right. Does the character of your life matter? Does what I do at work matter? Does my integrity matter? Do my actions and my words matter? Yes, they do. And it is either a witness to the glory of God or it defames His name. Philippians 2.14-15 says this, Do all things without grumbling or disputing. Why? Verse 15, That you may be blameless and innocent, Children of God, without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world. The world around us is darkness. And if we hold fast to righteousness, the character of God, we will shine brightly in the midst of this dark, twisted, and crooked generation. Last cross-reference I want you to turn to is 1 Peter 2, verse 12. 1 Peter 2 verse 12. Does my conduct matter? Does the way that I live my life out in society matter? Yes, it does. 1 Peter 2:12 says this. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. So that when they speak evil, Well, sorry, when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. There's the glory of God again. The Christian's life is like a searchlight pointing to the heavens. In the midst of some of you work in the the secular workplace, in the midst of your crooked, workplace where people are living for all kinds of things that are contrary to god's word contrary to the righteous life that christ prescribes you are like that searchlight that beams up and hits heaven pointing everyone that you interact with not to yourself not to how good you are but to your father who's in heaven for his glory for his glory By our actions and by our words, we tell the world there is a king and he's worthy of serving. Some will reject him and then will reject you. Some people that you interact with are not going to like your message, they're not going to like your life, and they're going to attack you. That's what you were promised in verses 11 and 12. But some will see your life, they'll hear your message And as a result, look at this, they'll see your good works and they'll give glory to your Father who's in heaven. They'll see the King and they'll surrender. And they'll believe and they'll follow Him. Just like those little fish that turned around and followed the influence of the one fish that was swimming in the opposite of the current. Now with that said, why is our concern this? Why do we say, what will people do to us if we shine His light? What might they do to us? And why is our concern not, what will people do without us if we hide it? What are they going to do without us? How are they going to see God? How are they going to glorify Him? How are they going to know the gospel? How are they going to be saved if we don't shine brightly? If we don't expose the light that is within us, the answer is that if we don't shine brightly, they, they remain lost, blind, and walking in darkness. They'll not know the way. They'll not see the King. They will not glorify the Father who is in heaven. The child of God is more concerned about the glory of his Father than self-preservation, than comfort, than the pleasures of this world. No, no, no. The end of all things, the answer to why in my life is always the glory of God. I want to see his name known and glorified in this world. For the glory of God, be the city on a hill, the lamp on a stand in your workplaces, in your neighborhoods, in your families, with your friends. For the glory of God, don't let another day of work, another family gathering, another interaction with a neighbor go by without shining brightly the light of Jesus Christ. Be a faithful witness by your works and your words. Throw away the baskets and shine brightly for Jesus Christ. I'd like to add a third illustration. A third illustration of what we could be to the outside world. And that is that of a lighthouse. I have a picture here. Be like a lighthouse that shines brightly. Now, no one builds a lighthouse in a cave. That would be pointless. The point of the lighthouse is to be out against the edge of the cliff so that the sailors can see it and both be warned and guided. What does the lighthouse do? What's its purpose? It warns and it guides. First of all, the lighthouse warns Sailors away from the rocks. And the lighthouse also guides. It guides boats safely into the harbor, dependent upon its position. So the lighthouse both warns and it guides. It warns away from the rocks and it guides boats safely into the harbor. Now, think about that in relation to our witness. We both guide and we warn, do we not? With the gospel? The gospel message? First of all, we guide. We guide people by the light of Christ into the safe harbor of relationship with Him. And that, the only way is through Jesus Christ. So we share the good news of Jesus, His perfect life, His sacrificial death, and His victorious resurrection. That they may believe and know God and have right relationship with Him. But we also warn people. We warn them away from the life of sin, away from the life of death. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So like a lighthouse, we stand faithful and we shine brightly to warn and to guide people, to warn them away from their sinful life and guide them safely into the harbor of relationship with Him. I want to ask you, how can you shine your light this, this week? How can you? Maybe a person comes to mind, a neighbor, a coworker, a family member that you've been hiding from. I want to encourage you to take the basket off and expose the light of Jesus Christ, even this week. Who in your life needs to be guided into the safe harbor of relationship with God and warned away from sin and death? And you might ask, Morgan, where do I start? Where do I start? Start with the Beatitudes. Start by living a life that is faithful to these characteristics. Start by... Growing and pursuing being poor in spirit. Humble. Oh, okay, I can do that. Start by mourning over your sin. Oh, okay, I can do that in my own life. Start by being meek and gentle towards others. Yeah, I can apply that. Start by hungering and thirsting for righteousness. No problem. Start by being merciful to those around you. Being pure from the heart. Being a peacemaker. And don't stop at the seventh beatitude. Start by being willing to be persecuted for the sake of righteousness and for the name of Jesus Christ. You're not going out looking for trouble. You're not going out looking for beatings, but you are faithful to Jesus Christ and you're faithful to shine your light. And as a result, you might be persecuted. In fact, Paul says you will be persecuted. So be bold, be courageous to shine the light of Jesus Christ. You are the salt, you are the light. Stay salty with the king's flavor and shine brightly with the king's light. I'll conclude with this illustration. There was a boy in the early 1800s who lived with his grandfather in a lighthouse. Every night, his grandfather would fill the lamp with oil and he would light the wick, and then the beaming light would shine brightly, seen from miles and miles away. It was a glorious sight, but the child recognized that it was a lot of work for his aging grandfather. One night the boy asked him, Grandfather, the lighthouse is so much work, and it requires so much oil, why do you still light it every night, and yet we hardly see one ship pass? His grandfather replied, Because one ship saved is enough for a lifetime of my service in this lighthouse. Christian, one soul saved is worth a lifetime of your service to the king and your commitment to his mission. Stay salty, shine brightly, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, it is a simple and straightforward principle in this passage. Yet, convicting and difficult for many of us to apply. Lord, to be your salt, to be your light, there is obvious risk. The risk we are aware of God, the persecution that all faithful Christians face in this world. But God, I pray that the fear of men would not become the basket that we hide our lights under. God, I pray that we remove the basket, that we remove the hills, be the city on top of the hill, be the light on top of the stand, and shine brightly your light to the outside world to those we interact with at work, to those we interact with in our neighborhoods, to those we interact with in our families, that we would shine brightly the light of Jesus Christ for the glory of You, to Your glory. God, I pray that we would be a people consumed with Your glory. We would want to see it like Moses. We would want to Lord, do all things to please you, to honor you, to offer our lives as a living sacrifice, a pleasing aroma to give you glory. And that we would be about pursuing your glory and our witness to other people. God, I pray that we would be enlivened and passioned and motivated by your glory and so that all the fears of this world would dwindle. God, I pray that we would apply this simple principle and this simple passage to our lives this week and be effective salt and be effective light in this world. In Jesus' name, amen.